0: Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. We're back in the Chatter Zone for episode number
1: 110.
0: 110. And we've got return guest Magdalene Grace Dean and special first-time guest, Father Thomas Loya. Very exciting. We're going, yes, it is. It is. And we're going to begin in in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Remember,
0: Remember almost Most gracious, gracious Virgin, Virgin Mary, Mary, that, that never, never was,
1: was it known. known. That anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee I come, come before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my
0: petitions, but in thy thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Spirit. many thanks to our Sponsor, Hot Works during this holiday time
1: on Holiday Drive. That's appropriate, isn't it?
0: It is. But it they is. are
1: our sponsor year-round.
0: Yeah, they sure are. Magdalene Grace, it's good to have you back in the house.
1: It's a blessing to be here. Thank you for
2: having me back,
0: especially during during Advent. Yes, and and all of that. And um when you were over last time, we said we need to get Father Thomas Loya of the Byzantine Catholic Church, uh, and and we air his show so this is the connection colleen mm-hmm. the show that we've aired for some years light mm-hmm. of the east mm-hmm. this is the, the guy father mm-hmm. thomas loya so we've got an iconographer a master iconographer yeah. and um and father here uh Magdalene grace why don't you uh bring father into the conversation
2: well um i'm i um am so blessed most people don't realize that the iconographer really defers and um works with the priest the byzantine catholic priest um and we had lots of conversations explaining the process and some of the symbology of iconography during our last chatter which is mm-hmm. program number one zero three
3: which is good <laughs>
2: um but i i said it was not complete because um Iconography really, uh, it it gives you uh, an historical uh, depiction or an account of biblical events and also traditions and different feasts of the church, but it heavily leans in theology. And I just suggested that we were able to call in um, somebody who was very, very, very good at um, giving these kinds of descriptions and instructions and classes, and I too am a uh, Listener to your program, Father. It is absolutely um enlightening in every possible way. So um so here we are, a uh, Father Thomas Loya of the Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. Um welcome. Thank Indeed. you very
3: much. Thank you. For that wonderful introduction. It's great to be here. I'm honored. So,
0: Father, before we get into the show more on Light in the East, why don't you give some background on your calling into the priesthood, please?
3: yeah okay, I come from I'm a Byzantine Catholic, as you said, I'm born and raised that way. I, my uh, heritage in that regard goes back many generations on both sides of my family. In fact, I come from a long line of married priests. Uh, I am a celibate and that we have we do have other celibate priests in my family as well. So we have married priests and celibate priests. Wow. And I uh, was uh, always had a little bit of a gift in art. Uh, since I was a child, and so I pursued that as a career. I went to the Cleveland Institute of Art, and at that time I began to discern priesthood. But I went. I graduated from the art institute, and I worked for a while. And ironically, or providentially, the first job I got out of art school—I was so thrilled—I got hired. You know, to be an artist was for a church design firm. <laughs>
1: mm, wow! <laughs>
3: and, and it was during that that year that I worked that I. Uh, Went, got very serious into discernment of religious life. So I, I eventually went into the seminary. I began at our Pittsburgh, our seminary in Pittsburgh, the Byzantine Catholic Seminary. And then I was also spent a couple of years in Rome, and where I did a lot of studying of art there as well, and seeing all the things that I studied all my life as an artist. You know, from iconography to to all all of the uh, great Christian art. And uh, I've been a priest now for forty one years and I use my art quite a bit. I have painted a couple of churches from floor to ceiling with iconography and I'm working, still working on it. Uh, my church here, uh, especially uh, right now I'm doing the exterior uh, paintings and uh, I mean icons and um, little prayer areas and so on on rocks and all that. So inside and out we have iconography. And then I also got a master's degree in counseling human services and because uh, when I was a seminarian, he got very interested. I, I used to hear live St. John Paul II teaches theology of the body, which is uh, a great, great articulation of the church's teaching on marriage mm-hmm. and family, all manners of humanity and sexuality. And so I became interested in that and then uh, began to speak on that. And I, uh, I, together with another woman, Catherine Branko, established the Table Life Institute for study and formation in the theology of the body and in Byzantine spirituality. I sort of combined the two because what they have in common is this fundamental sacramental or mystical approach to everything to life and this is this is how we come to understand the why behind the church's teaching the why behind everything actually and so these these kind of these things kind of converge for me my art iconography uh the the counseling the, the theology of the body spirituality all that kind of converges for me and that's basically uh what is, is sort of the character of my priesthood of my ministry so I've uh, overseen the building of two churches in, in my time. And, uh, and of course, painting painting the icons for them, painting everything for them, even big sale signs. And <laughs> That's the joke of my church is that... Uh, they know I can't stand lousy signs, you know? So, uh, so if the printers want me to make us, they always ask me to make nice signs. If I don't make them quick enough, they put their own up there and I can't stand it. So I take it down. And I make my own sign. So
1: I'm just wondering what a bake sale sign as an icon looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it's not computing.
0: And if, and, and if the sign takes too long, is it a day old bake sale? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, just in fact. I just uh, did a whole slew of signs recently. We had a an event at our church in which required signs, all the time signs. You know, so they they count on me for that. I keep my studio open, so so my art background has is really come in so handy. Uh, it's really just so handy, and especially as I, I developed iconography early on when I was in college, I started learning iconography. My cousin was a, a very well known iconographer, and their iconography basically. Uh, from uh, well I combined with my art training but also i i learned it from other iconographers and also a personal study and development developing over the years you know so but the thing is about about all this is and this is what icons do for us is they give us this an illustration and really an immersion into the one and only reality which we're of course going to be celebrating and that is the great mystery of the incarnation where the spiritual world you know this heaven meets earth heaven has infused itself in earth and therefore everything in earth and on earth especially in human person it has a revelatory value it reveals god it makes god present on earth and and certainly as uh, madeline can tell you in iconography there's always the depiction of the hieratic you know the heavenly reality with the narrative the earthly reality because the whole message behind iconography is the basis of our faith really of all reality. And that is that uh, the invisible has become the, the invisible, the invisible world. God in the invisible world has become visible through the physical order creation that God set in place. And that is the message. That is what iconography depicts. And the reason why that's so important and absolutely crucial for our time is because we've lost that sacramental worldview and that's why nothing is going well in our in our world today.
0: Can you go deeper Not on a, that father because as I, just before you explain the end of that I I was thinking I mean Colleen who who do we know that that says heaven has come to earth that that the, the god man has has come among his creatures and yet Father you said it so well you've said it uh, what the world needs and what the world has lost. Uh, can you go deeper what are what are some more of your thoughts along those lines?
3: Well what happens we have to understand our faith our faith is about not you know teachings and rules and so on as so many people think our faith is about seeing and that's of course what I can does it teaches us to see it's about seeing seeing the invisible God made visible through and only through physicality. In other words, the physicality of his creation. And the reason why that's so important is because if we have that vision, I say putting on Catholic glasses or sacramental glasses, if mm-hmm. we have that vision, we can see the why behind everything and we know how to then interface with everything. And this is the key, that no matter what discipline you want to talk about in life, whether it's nature, it's a human person, it's government, it's business, it's media, no matter what it is, if you approach those disciplines through this vision, they turn to gold. If we don't have this vision, everything we touch basically turns to garbage, and, and, and this is why this vision is so fundamental and why all the Christian art, really Catholic, true Catholic Christian art, but especially iconography, is so essential, why it is even miraculous, because it teaches us how to see and therefore how to proceed with everything in life. If you take any issue, any issue at all, and you see it through that lens, that sacramental lens, you'll understand it, you'll know how to approach it. Take even the most secular, the most political issue you can think of. That issue, those subjects, will only work, will only arrive at the solutions to them, at the proper uh, living of them, if we approach them with this sacramental view. And and that and see that not only is that the importance of iconography, but it's what it's the importance of liturgy in the church, and it's precisely what we're about to celebrate on December twenty fifth. December 25th is about this worldview, about this worldview coming into our reality and changing it forever. And so everything that we do has to be approached through that one singular vision. There is nothing else. Catholic, our faith is simply about the invisible become visible through the physical.
1: So can I ask you about that? Because you're talking about seeing the reality of the world, the supernatural. Icons look very different than Western European art that we think of, Michelangelo, things like that. So you talk about seeing um, art and the icon and the reality. Can you explain to us how the icon helps us see um the the reality of the supernatural
3: okay first of all uh there's a lot of elements in in that that does this uh in its composition the comp the very the very composition the you know the, the geometric formulas for icons even in themselves the way your eye is led through the through the picture plane as it were even even in that it's leading you into a theological revelation Then you have the depiction of, basically, uh, icons have, as I mentioned before, a hieratic element. In other words, the the part of heaven, you know, Christ, the Virgin Mary, the saints, the angels, which is usually at the upper part of the composition. Then below that, almost divided in half, is the narrative. In other words, that's what's happening on earth. And, And what's happening on earth is being affected by what's happening in the hieratic part of the composition. Thirdly, what happens is the way we paint in iconography uh, the figures, we paint them in a way in, in, in a kind of their eschatological form. In other words, they're painted as though they're already in the eschaton. They're spiritual That's why you don't see much body beneath the drapery. So, like, for instance, in a Michelangelo masterpieces that have this incredible depiction of the glory the human person as made by God, You know, the glory of the body. In iconography, it 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 uh, transmits that glory in another way, in the, in a the way that it's the person is spiritualized, transfigured. In other words, as we will be in the eschaton when our bodies will be reunited with our souls, but they'll be spiritualized. You know, much like when Christ rose from dead and he came through the very door of the upper room, even though it was locked. You know, he still had his body, he had the wounds, but he went through that door and they thought he was a ghost you know so it was it was the it was the physical spiritualized uh and this is what iconography uh how it portrays and that's why the 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 human figures it also portrays them with light coming from within them they sometimes call that the light of tamer uh which is different than uh western art western art has more like the theater type art where there's an outside source of art makes very dramatic lighting uh which, again, is another form of, of a drama and beauty. But in iconography, they paint it so that the light is as though coming from within the figure. Almost like if you take a flashlight and put it behind your, your clothes, you know, how it would look. It mm-hmm. would be like this mm-hmm. sort of translucent light, you know. And that, that's how iconography is. And the gestures, the composition, what they hold in their hand, the even the colors transmit the theology, so at all times, what the icon is doing, it's pointing our glance from the natural, but always towards the supernatural in the composition, the colors, in the style, uh, the, the way the, the faces are painted, the lighting and so on.
1: So you really do need to to almost enter into an icon and look at all the details and what does that what does that transmit? Like the fact that the light comes from within um, or the fact that the focus typically is the face as opposed to the body. Um, So that's that's a whole different way of looking at an image um, than what we typically think.
2: Well, one of the things that my father that I I like to say to a lot of the students is that um, iconography is an example of classical thinking and that in yeah. our modern day way of living um we're really thinking on a very surface level right. and then with shortened attention spans it's very difficult for us to enter the the next phase and then ultimately the deep interior phase of our understanding and through the movement of light and the dynamic movement of the postures and the way the design works it uh, we, it's a device it's a device that was that was created hundreds of years ago in the earliest days of Christianity, and during that time, minds were used in a more full way. If this type of vehicle helps us to enter our prayer and to enter into that interior place um, in in a more cohesive way,
0: mm. our guests are Magdalene Grace Dean from the iconography um i've i've just lost the Catholicon,
2: uh thank you school of of iconography
0: and and the host of light of the east father thomas loyan they're gonna be right back for segment two of episode 110 after we take this break What a great uh, show, Colleen! Oh, that uh, first
1: segment was wonderful.
0: Right here in in uh, Advent, Father Thomas Loya's is with us and Magdalene Graystein.
1: Well, we were just uh,
2: speaking about classical thinking, Father. Can you go ahead and lead us into um, the concept of of yes, we have an urgency without a doubt, especially during our our times of of many different crises around us. Um, Will you, will you help us understand the need for classical thinking and also how the icon really can work uh, with us in healing our spiritual lives?
3: Okay, C- classical thinking is basically the discovery of the principles of beauty and of the created order as God has designed it. And in discovering that, and then therefore, it's almost like unlocking God's secrets, like the DNA He put into His creation, His creative process. The, the ancients, you talked about uh, the ancients earlier. You know, they they uh, they influenced the iconographers because the the ancients were already discovering these things. They discovered like like what's known as the golden mean, the, the proportion scale. They they understood what they were unlocking the secrets of beauty and order and proportion that when we experience it, it gives us a sense of, of calm, of integration. Now Christianity takes that and uses it to give us a sense of prayer of, of a basically a kind of a mystical experience of God, which means a real personal experience of God by by presenting to the world, getting the world to see and to think uh, in this classical way. So iconography, it works with uh, proportions. It, it works with, with uh, geometric forms that kind of lead the eye in certain ways that present a certain order, uh, a certain uh, meaning, a certain integration and synthesis. And the reason why this is so important because this is actually healing. See, our, our bodies, our eyes, our brains, are designed our ears every our senses are designed to perceive and to react to these dna secrets that god has woven into his creation wow this literally this is what make this is what fe- like you look at classical art especially iconography it literally is feeding your brain just as we've learned today unfortunately on the other side of things the extreme side Science has actually learned that pornography literally physically deteriorates the brain. There's actually wow. a, a dumbing down that's happening with especially with men hooked on pornography. It's an actual chemical process that deteriorates the brain cells. When when but now when you look at classical work, it actually enlivens, it feeds those brain cells. It expands them. It gives them a sense of 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 reason or rationality and increases their rational potential their potential for rational thinking for for seeing and it gives a certain uh, calm a certain uh, sense of uh, of of transcendence and integration and what we need today is the rediscovery of this, this whole classic approach, which you see in great art, especially ancient art-like iconography. You see it, of course, in the fathers of the church. You have many schools today, you know, you know like Chesterton's Academies and homeschoolers that are mm-hmm. uh, great book schools. That's really what they're doing. They're going back and they're trying to retrieve this classical way of thinking, of seeing, of experience in life, which is what Catholic was all about. Catholic... The Catholic Church was the communicator of these classical principles, these, this DNA uh, that God has in creation. And that's what made. that's why the best of everything is Catholic, quite frankly. The greatest art, the greatest medicine, the greatest music, the greatest architecture, the greatest science, the greatest marriage and family, the greatest of everything in history, it, if you look at it, comes from that Catholic ethos because the Catholic ethos was able to capture and communicate these, I call the DNA that God has woven into his creation that that immerses us into truth, goodness, and beauty. And, And this is why classic forms, even classic music, classic art, iconography, there's an urgency to get this retrieved, to get this out there, to get this all over the place. So that our eyes are drinking in the this these DNA principles of truth, goodness, and beauty. And that forms us. It forms our conscience. It forms our thinking. It forms our soul. The same thing with music. The same thing with poetry, with the way we we write things and express things. You know, they're not even teaching handwriting anymore in schools, you know. That was Mm -hmm. a true art. You know that, Mm -hmm. Madeline. That Mm -hmm. was a absolutely uh, Penman, penmanship like I, I had a great aunt who was a professional scribe she did this magnificent penmanship of all kinds of you know the mm-hmm. old English text and the it was just incredible a true art uh, you know, I mean just to write your name and to, you ever look at old manuscripts like like you look at the constitution I say you look at that handwriting it's like a it's like a work of art and this mm-hmm. was normal handwriting there why because they were still learning from the the standpoint of classic thinking and this and this has to be retrieved, and the medium for retrieving that is going to be in the arts, and that includes media. It includes Catholic media. You're you're out there trying to teach people, you know, how to think, how to perceive, how to see life through this Catholic ethos, which is the 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 delivery system for God's DNA of truth, goodness, and beauty.
1: You know that was that was very enlightening and eye opening because I don't think I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for Tom, but I don't think I've ever thought of icons and all the classical music as as actually having an impact on our DNA. Our yes. our think I've never ever thought of that. That's quite an quite an idea. Well, not
0: only that, Father, but I don't I don't think we. Uh, have at least I haven't considered this as part of the integrated whole whereby um you know we w- when we went to catholic school there was some latin I'm dating myself but some latin but uh you know we we're thinking of uh, composition rhetoric and and uh, mm-hmm. and logic but I don't think anybody wove it into that fabric that said this was the great classical music uh was was catholic that science was was catholic uh where did we go wrong and i'll I'll just tell you we saw a bumper sticker here in little old dubuque iowa this last month colleen that says science is the cure for catholicism
1: wow
0: (laughs) now 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 take that that bumper sticker meme and and overlay that with what you've just been uh talking about for the last four or five minutes father
3: Science is nothing more than a discipline in which we, through, and we insist on limited human uh, discovery. It's, it's just a way in which we discover what the church has always known. In other words, it's, it, it, it's, like, it's like, if you picture a mountain, a mountain that is the, is the truth of God's revelation. The church knows this truth. Science is like someone taking a teaspoon and chipping away at that mountain and discovering it that way. That's what science is. So the example,
1: that- may, and maybe I'm way off on this, but the example I'm thinking of as you're talking is, you know, uh, science has now shown the benefits to the body of fasting. Well, yes, heck, exactly. that church has been <laughs> promoting fasting
3: for a long time. <laughs> You know what it's that like. That in the
2: Mediterranean diet.
1: Yeah.
3: Yes.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. I liken it to like a you know, like like a race. You know, like a run, running race. You know, like you see the mm-hmm. Olympics, where the uh the church is so far ahead of science, it laps it and comes up behind it. So it, so our culture, modern day culture, thinks that science is ahead of the church. No, it's actually lapped science and come up behind it. <laughs> And and everything that science discovers, as long as it's real science, and that's a very important qualification, because basically we live, probably half our science is junk science today. But if it's authentic science, it's authentic science will only prove that what the church has already said and known, it may enhance our understanding of it, you know, technically, but it, 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 science will never, ever disprove what the church has said in, in two thousand years. It will only affirm, just as you said, Colleen. It will only affirm what the church has always known.
1: And I have a feeling then, if it disproves it, then it's bad
3: science. A- absolutely, it is. It, yeah. It's it's absolutely, and that's unfortunately what we suffer from today. It's it's a uh, it's uh, it's ideologically driven science unless we start out with that ideology and try to use science to prove it and therefore prove the church wrong it's it's yeah. junk science it's not real science
1: yeah so i i think of um scientists like father spitzer um yes. doing wonderful work um, yes. yes so so their science and catholicism can get along they can play well together
3: oh, right absolutely. it's not one
1: or the other
3: uh, Pope Benedict XVI was always big in that because he saw that there was this this misunderstanding in our in our modern day. He said, "Faith and reason, faith and reason are not diametrically posed. Mm-hmm. They, they subsist in each other. Mm-hmm. The two sides of the same coin."
1: Yeah, and the idea that using icons in our prayer could enhance our understanding of reality and nature and and impact our thinking to become more classical thinking. That is a brand new idea, at least to me. Yes, so it I'm- is.
3: It, it, it will influence our brain. Like we, we drink it in, and it influences us how we well- think.
2: And I strongly suggest, Father, too. I, and I witness this on a daily basis. I actually witness it when people come into. We have an icon room where people come in to look at samples, and all of the icons there are are, are written with the twenty-four karat gold and the semi-precious stones that have been ground in the egg tempera. And the the style that I teach um, is is the most um, authentic and. Um, Difficult style of iconography where we have up to 300 layers of transparent glazes, egg glazes, so that the light travels through every single process of the iconography. Um, Just having the icon, whether you're praying or not, um, many Byzantine Catholics have icons in every room of the home, um, especially by the front door and the back door going out to the world, you pre- you venerate the icon and you stand before it. Coming in from the world, you come in and you venerate the icon. And then we wow. also have the icon corner, which is the family area where we uh, gather together and we pray. But when we have people come into the studio, um, there is a visceral um, change within their posture, within their breathing. They're not praying in front of the icons. They're just passing, pa- they're just going walking mm. past them. I've had many a people drop on their knees in tears, and I'm not a church. We're a school, um, so there is more, more to an icon than just for prayer. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I'm trying to teach the the in the area of Dubuque, um, because we don't have a Byzantine Catholic church um, for people to go in and see how the iconography impacts the liturgy and the, um, the presence of, of our faith. Um, so
1: um, so if, a, if a Catholic family has a home altar or they have a prayer room, icons should definitely be a part of that. Absolutely. And the workplace more than ever. At the
0: workplace um, now that's an absolutely. interesting comment magla Grace. Um,
2: oh, yeah. just, oh yes right father don't we know that yeah, most no of, the of the parishioners, parishioners
3: yeah, yes, yeah. So, unfortunately i have to leave on that segment darn it because that's another great topic <laughs>
0: <laughs> father i know you're bumping up against a uh, funeral god bless you for doing that before you leave would you please give us your blessing
3: May the Lord God bless you out right of Zion while you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May the Lord God grant you every good petition as is his good will. grant you long life, health, and salvation in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. So Thank I'm sorry to run. Thank you. This has been great. I'm honored to be with you and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Thank yes. you, father. Thank Wonderful. You,
2: father. Father,
0: father, father Thomas you, God. Loya from light of the East. You hear him on FM uh 98.3 kcrd on the um saturday sunday mornings sunday
1: mornings at 8 Eight thirty.
0: so magdalene let's take a break and come back for segment three of episode number 110 on the chatter brought to you by our good friends at hot works on holiday drive Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Oh yes I know. Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Oh, Welcome yes, back. I this know. is the one hundred tenth episode Freedom of the Chatter segment three. Magdalene Freedom Grace comes. is with us. Uh, Father Thomas Lawyer had a had a leaving. Colleen, once again, you don't get this kind of radio up and down the dial.
1: I'll tell you what, in segment two, it kind of blew my mind when he was talking about classical thinking and icons and the influence it has on your thinking process. That was a new uh, idea for me, so I'm going to have to really Mm -hmm. uh, look into that and delve into that, but um, iconographer Magdalene is still with us, and at the end of that last segment, Uh, She was talking about icons in the home, and then she briefly said icons in the workplace, and we all went, what? So we want to talk a little bit more about icons in the workplace. Well, um, in this day and age where many of
2: our workplaces now hold policies um, that, for sake of inclusion, that may not, that may frown upon having any religious item i thought Um, they were
0: inclusive
2: well you see that's the whole idea of inclusivity is yeah inclusivity has to exclude in order to keep one particular group inclusive so
0: uh, we're inclusive here
2: we have we have found that that um that's one of those fake scientists sciences that Mm. father loya was telling us about Mm -hmm. it really is flawed um but anyway in the workplace what we have found is um and i have certainly found this uh at the gallery which is a public space it's i it's a retail store
0: which is down on bluff just to i I don't think we've mentioned it it's in the uh 300 block three
2: three bluff west
0: side of the street just a couple doors up from third street
2: just a couple doors up also from the cathedral of St. Raphael. Right. Right. Um, So when people come in, um, I do have icons behind the counter. That's my workplace. So is, um, so is everywhere else in the school, but we have lots of customers who come in to buy icons for their desk. Now, if you have a private desk and you have photographs of your children, which are very dear to your heart, Um, Many of our customers and many of the parishioners cite the fact that the icon is just another member of their family. It's their holy family.
0: And so these are prayer card size, three by five, four by six? They're
2: actually wooden miniature icons. Some of them are printed at a very high uh, quality process of uh, heirloom printing with gold uh, foil attached to them. Some people actually have have miniature handwritten icons in the the tradition where we're using the actual paint made from the egg tempera and also
0: real real building so what's that what's that printing process for those small icons
2: um it's actually done in europe it's done in rome it's done in italy or done in greece and it's it's they they can call it a polychrome um or a serograph. um and okay
0: polychrome chrome i can
1: Sort many colors. Many, colors, many
0: colors, many colors, serigraph,
2: serigraph, uh, lithograph, where you have um, a series of the yellows, which the blues are placed on top of that, and the reds are placed mm-hmm. on top of that. So it's a many process um, layering of the printing itself. So it ends up making a luminescent piece. But we have um, uh, parishioners who uh, have the icons on their desk because they cite them as a part of their family, their holy family. Now, in some places where that is breaking policy with a particular place of work, um, we strongly suggest that um, you still display an icon, but have it be an angel, because I have not had an angel icon ever be uh, looked down upon or frowned upon by anybody, Hmm. Um, because many, many religions have angels. Sure. Now, our angels happen to be Christian angels, mm-hmm. and they are servants of God, mm-hmm. and Christ actually um, um, commands them. Um, but, you know, our our administrators at work don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. But um, the angel also, for those who are even more argumentative about the different sexes, I always cite that the angel is the original they. Um,
0: <laughs> she went there, <laughs> she went the pronoun way. <laughs> <She went there. laughs> I had
2: to go there because it absolutely is a neutral, um, almost warming, uh, it's neutral and it welcomes the person who might be confused and, or who's questioning all of that. And they look at the angel and then it, it, it automatically helps them go into a sense of order. Father loyal was talking about ordering the way we think, ordering our our, our process of our cognitive ability for our brain. Um, Our society has created this, this society today has created this new science of, um, you know, gender equality and transhumanism and all of those things. And sorry, we, you know, I can't not talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, This is exactly the
0: chatter. You can talk about anything.
2: It's exactly what iconography confronts and actually helps to heal. Say that again. Iconography actually confronts this confusion of today's gender um, questions and issues. Yeah, and
0: how does it do that?
2: Well, because we have a, a sense of order, as was what Father Loyal was talking about. Sure. And what we have in an icon is an absolute depiction of God's divine order. And our divine order is that He uh, he made man in his image, and he made woman for man. Um, there isn't any other confusion. Now we have the angel, which is the which are the original they. They are genderless, but they are still part of this divine order. And what happens is it, it it invites a conversation for the person who's gender confused. And um and I'll say yeah they're the original they, but they serve God, and um and they're in an order where man and woman are below them. Um, So it just helps them realize that there's a door for them to come into of perhaps something familiar, but then through the, through the, the way the process of the icon, the way it's designed and the way it orders your, your eyesight and your cognitive thinking, it also orders your heart. And I have found that icons are very comforting and ultimately a pathway for many people who are gender confused.
0: For healing. For Mm -hmm. healing. So, this we got talking about this in the uh, in the workplace, right. but um uh, the home and during break were you talking about automobiles? We
2: were talking about putting icons in your car. Um I travel with uh, several icons in my car um as as so what in, size are these they're they're actually pocket size. they're wooden plaques, and they are probably two inches by two inches and um I I also travel with a a pocket-sized Bible, and um, I believe that our Bible should be with us at all times. I have small ones that I keep in my purse, in my car. I have one always in my car. Um, I have them in several places throughout the room. In this day and age of spiritual warfare, and for us to be very, very prepared, I have found it very comforting and very, very handy to go to Psalms. Mm -hmm when I need to um, be encouraged Um, when there is a temptation for fear, which can occur anywhere, but especially on the road, Mm. we have road rage now at a level that is, that is shocking. Mm -hmm. And we find that when we have the icons in our car, we can, we can be uh, more present with our driving and calmer
1: and, and more neutral. So if someone wanted to put an icon in their car, where, where, where do you have your icons? Like on the dashboard? Very, very good question. It, it, most people would think that I would be replacing
2: the hanging dice um, oh, um, the that, are, that are coming <laughs> off of the rearview mirror. Um, no, we don't want them anywhere near the site of our of our what we need to be looking at and paying attention to when we're driving. No but they actually we have little um card areas and I place them down instead of putting my cell phone my cell phone goes off when I'm in the car uh, generally I put it in my purse and then that little place that stood up that stands up that allows your cell phone to be viewed when you're driving I have an icon of Jesus there oh that's a great in,
0: idea in the two by two inch icons uh, other than Jesus is is that a two by two
2: we have Jesus um I have uh, Michael the Archangel is with me 24 hours a day, either he's by my side at bed or he's in my car or he's in another mm-hmm. many rooms in the home.
1: You know, I knew someone that had a, like a prayer card of the icon of St. Michael, and they took that prayer card and they taped it inside their windshield on the downside corner. So it wasn't interfering with your sight, mm-hmm. but it was almost like he was your wingman. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you could keep your icon in the glove compartment.
2: Um,
0: now, do you keep this in the car? It doesn't. You don't remove it when you uh, get out of the car. At it's all all there all the yeah. time.
2: Yeah. And then, when I'm transporting a large icon that's going to a home or to a church, I actually sit it up and put the seatbelt around it, like it's like I'm seatbelting a child. In the back seat to keep it up, and and so I that you know, makes sense. Well, mm-hmm. it's it's a way of respecting the icon. We don't throw it in the car trunk with a bunch of other um, storage, bless you, bless you with you. a bunch of other things on top of it. That's the other thing that an icon um, really requires our our reverence. Um, so we don't pile them on top of each other like books. We don't throw them in tote bags. We really um, um, treat them
1: as though they're living. Because in many ways they are. Mm. Well, you know, it reminds me of when they transport um, the Pilgrim Virgin statue around. Yeah. Um, I know occasionally they'll strap her in, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. they don't want anything mm-hmm. anything to happen yeah. to her.
0: So oh, we wait. should have icons in the workspace.
1: Yes,
2: absolutely.
0: Because that's our private space and, and we need protection.
2: Well, it's not only that, but they help to order our process, and you'll find that the day is much less filled with stress when you have icons nearby. And,
1: you know, I think if if someone were walking by a cubicle and they saw an icon in someone's cubicle, I'd say to myself, I want to get to know that person. Yes. Right. So it's almost like a, not a code, but it's almost letting your coworkers know that you're a faith-filled person. Good
0: way to evangelize.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, iconography is one of the
2: uh, common ways Uh, to evangelize people. I have heard so many people who come back to the fold, to the church um, from just looking at an icon and having a a heartfelt, deep um, response to it. And it opens the door. we got about
0: five minutes left, Magdalene. We want to talk about icons in the home. And we want to talk about this beautiful icon that you brought a print of. And, um, And then close out with what we got to do with Advent here. It's all yours.
2: Well, one of the things that we do to around this Advent season is to, um, you know, many of us have our tree and many of us uh, enjoy um, St. Nicholas, Santa Mm -hmm. Claus. Mm -hmm. St. Nicholas Day, we had the feast day last week. Um, That's usually done before the nativity. So generally, it's it's very common for the Byzantine Catholic uh, or the Eastern Catholic to have uh, an icon of the nativity set up at their home cor- in the corner of the altar, um, and there can be a tree nearby and decorations and so on. And um, the icon of the nativity is just very unusual looking. As a matter of fact, I've had many, many Um, Catholics come up to me and say, God, I just don't get it. It's just so um, severe. I've heard the word severe. severe. Yeah, severe. Well, because we see at the very center of the icon, we see Mary being three times larger than Joseph, who sits at the bottom of the icon. And then we we see the baby Jesus not being held by the mother, and the mother not even gazing at the baby Jesus, because she's turning around worried, gazing about joseph um um so let's start at the very worried or
0: concerned for joseph
2: yes she is she's concerned because she she sees that he's left the scene the birth scene and he's kind of placed himself outside in doubt and that's usually at a lower corner of the icon where you will see um a a little old man standing over him and that's the devil tempting him Mm. um this this
0: standing uh, over joseph yes Okay. Tempting him. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. So, so she's concerned about, about that. Um, but we see the infant child Jesus in a crib and both uh, mother and child are set in a dark cave. Now the cave um, is, is not really described in the Bible as being a birthplace, but, but we have it here as the place where um we're seeing two sets of time here. We're seeing the present, uh, the presence of Jesus being born, but we're also seeing um, the prediction of Him and as He is going to die for us for our salvation. So He's He's wrapped in a shroud, even though it looks like little swaddling clothes. Mm-hmm.
1: It's hard. It looks like little swaddling clothes and, and a, a mummy.
2: Yes, and yes. a shroud. Yes, and He's set in a crib that looks like a tomb yes like a coffin um but at the same time if you look at the cave that they are both in that also could be the foot of golgotha in the bottom of the crucifix so would
0: you go so far as to say the um is it luke where it says he's wrapped in swaddling clothes that that's a prefigurement a type
2: it absolutely is the
0: uh, of the shroud of turin colleen think
1: of that for a moment there you go of the shroud of turin well the burial cloth of christ
2: it's yes it's it's ultimately talking about the the upcoming uh death passion yeah yes of when, of when, you know, he's found in the sepulchers. Oh, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, so we have two sets of time going on in icons. Um, and then also at the top of the icon, and Father Loyal was was explaining to us that that's the heavenly realm. The lower part of the icon is the earthly realm. So um, down at the earthly area here, opposite of Jesus being tempted by the devil, we have another little depiction of Jesus Christ sitting with a uh, a washerwoman preparing to bathe him. Mm-hmm. And and this has lots of meaning. Now, you know, how many icons, how many times do we have to see Christ? People are confused by that. We see Christ as a baby. We see him now being held by another woman other than Mary. And, and that really shows us that um, that Christ is for everybody. So that washerwoman more than likely would have been a servant back in the day. And then, of course, we have a foretelling of baptism. So we have water there at the font. Mm-hmm. Um, as we start to move upwards up to the heavenly realm, we'll also see the little shepherd, uh, the innocent young man who um, who was instructed um, by an angel and, and believing in that. And we also see um, the three kings, the three magi. Mm-hmm. And then above that, we see the angels. And the angels are depicted in two different ways. We have angels that are directing with their hands shown, and this would be to, um, to the shepherd and also to the kings. But then we also have a set of angels that are looking directly at Christ, and these angels are in a, um, a ministry. They're administering in a mystery, so their hands are covered. And this actually, this covering of the hands goes way back to the original vestment of the priest during uh, while he's serving the Eucharist, that back in the old days, his hands would have been covered by by his chasuble or his uh, his outer cloak. Mm -hmm. And it has since then been shortened. But um, the mystery of Christ and the Eucharist. So there's so much going on here. And then at the very center, you have what's known as the divine glory. That's the depiction of God. And in iconography, we don't have a depiction of the old man as God, as a man, because we can't depict God as a man. He's much more than that. Right. But we have the divine glory with the star coming down, and that's uh, usually can also show the um, Holy Spirit. The dove of the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, Magdalene, I lied. I said we had three things to do, and we got through one. But what <laughs> a story, Colleen! Oh on my goodness! This nativity.
1: You icon. know, and if people don't have any icons in their home, I'd encourage them to visit um, iconographer Magdalene at her store on Bluff Street, just um, down from the cathedral.
0: I would think these would make uh, very nice and affordable Christmas. Gifts.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Who needs one more tie? Nobody. Yeah.
1: But icons.
0: <laughs> but icons, we're doing it.
1: Can never have enough.
0: Our guests have been Father Thomas Loya of the Light of the East over in Homer Glen, Illinois, which is south of Chicago, and Magdalene Grace back for the second time. And I'm sure we're going to have you back a few more times in 2024. Give everybody your uh, contact information, the store and the uh, school downtown, please.
2: Well, we are at uh, Catholicon Art, Art School and Art Gallery, and Byzantium T. Both are located at 333 Bluff Street, and that's at the corner of Bluff and 3rd in downtown Dubuque. And you can also see us at catholicon.art, K-A-T-H-O-L-I-K-O-N dot A-R-T.
0: And we're flat out of time. We're
2: out of time. In
0: the name of the Father and the, the Son, Son and the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Glory
0: be to, to the, the Father
1: and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. end. Amen. Amen.
0: Tune in again next week. We love you.